We are preaching our way and studying our way and learning our way through John, the Gospel of John. Um, it's something that last summer I felt like, oh, we just need to do this, and I don't know why, but as we've gone through it, it's felt absolutely like God's timing and God's choice, and the particular chapters that we've landed on on particular weeks in our church's life and in my life have just felt so perfect, so perfect. Uh, today's another one of those days. Today's a good day to read John chapter 12 and think about what it has to say. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just say a quick prayer, and then if someone who has flipped to John chapter 12 would read the first nine verses for us, that will kick us off into our study this morning. So let me pray and then ask for a volunteer. Jesus, we know that you are alive and well. You are in this room with us and you've given us your Holy Spirit. We are not alone. Death had no hold on you and it's got no hold on us. Help us to live our lives the way you did with a view that this life is not the end. And therefore, may all of our decisions and choices and, and our entire lives be ones that matter in the long term, not just the short term. Please open our eyes to what you taught through Lazarus and his family. And may we be inspired and may it change our lives together today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, can someone read that for us? John 12, Tracy, 1 through 9, please. Six days before the Passover and Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, and expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Is it worth a year's wages? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You can stop right there, actually. Eight is perfect. The poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. Perfect. Thank you, Tracy. God bless the reading of his word. That's amazing stuff right there. Before we dig into the scripture, just let me give you a, a modern version of it. Would you think it a waste if I took, say, $60,000 and bought a candle that you could only use once, but you put it in the room and it gave the most wonderful smell to the room. The glow from that candle was so brilliant and so beautiful that anyone in that room at that moment would just be struck with the powerful sense of love and belonging and beauty. Would it be worth it to spend, say, like $60,000 on that candle and bring it in here on a Sunday morning and just light it and just let that thing burn? Worship, everyone looking at it, filling us with a sense of love and worship and adoration. And just as the service comes to a close, boom, that's it. 
and then we move on, Monday as normal, back to our lives and continue on. Is that a waste? Yes. Got a no, got a yes, got a no, got a yes. What? What do you think? Yes. Is it a waste? Yes. Why? Reckless. Why? You can buy a new car with it, right? The value. Like, you can do a lot with that stinking little candle. Yes. Uh, last week, Pastor Sean's question, or no, it was not, it was Nicole's question. Yeah. What would you do if you were independently wealthy? Independently wealthy. So if you were independently wealthy, $60,000 on that. Okay. For the moment. Okay. But that's still All right, so in the sliding scale. But that's a big chunk. That's a big chunk. What do you think? If it saved one life that day, because this person wouldn't be there the next day. Okay, so if it had an eternal kind of payoff, then it would be worth the one-day expense, the two-hour expense. Okay. I him on Jesus' feet, and he wasn't there the next day. Right. And they never saw him again. It Yeah, okay. These are good thoughts. How do you thank Jesus for saving your brother? How do you thank Jesus for saving your brother? So is it equal to Lazarus's worth as a thank you? Maybe a card would have been better? A card and a flower? She couldn't do enough. <laughs> she couldn't do enough. Yeah, yeah. And we have to wrestle with values here, values, what things are actually worth. Uh, wrestle with, for, to us, what would it mean personally? Wrestle with what impact, uh, is it worth it? Now, in this case, Jesus says it's worth it. This exact thing happens, and Jesus said it was not a waste. Now, that's kind of contrary to logic. And, and you see Judas here complains about it. And, and we would have said, many of us here, maybe myself included, like, it's not worth it. <laughs> I can do it without a candle. But the heart with which it was offered was like, I just want to give the best all I've, all I've got. I just, I just want to give my best. And it's never a waste to give Jesus the best of what you have, the best of yourself, the best of your possessions, the best of your time. It's never a waste to give everything you've got in love. But in this case, no one was, to Tracy's point, saved. It didn't have an impact in that way. It was purely adoration. I love you so much. I just want to give everything that I've got. So her heart, Jesus saw and said, it is not a waste because of what it shows. And Judas, who was making the more logical sort of evaluation, says it is a waste. But he wasn't actually being logical. His value structure was motivated by greed. So the person who looks logical in this has actually got a mask on and is pretending, has a facade, and is motivated by greed. And the person who looks like they're wasteful actually has the pure heart and is just completely loving in a way that no one else did for Jesus. And that just shows that it isn't all about the actions. It's about our heart in the actions. And if you want to evaluate an action, you can't just evaluate it by what was the number value, what was the payoff, those sort of metrics. What was in that person's heart as they were doing it? Was it for God or was it not? Let's read it again and let's stop here and there and make sure we really understand it. And then we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark, who also tells this story and fills in a few more details. I really want us to spend time to think about this. You know, what does it mean to waste? What is waste? Seems like waste. So here we are. John 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. 
So Martha served. This is Martha being Martha. She's a worker, right? She's our classic servant-minded person. Like, this is Patrice. Like, wow, I'll put out some food. Come on, everybody around the table. It's like her heart and her love. And Jesus doesn't at all condemn her or say, knock it all. Like, she's just doing what she was made to do. In the last moment we had with her, she was doing too much. She was getting bitter. And for all of us who serve, we know sometimes you serve beyond your capacity. And then you start to resent everybody else for not serving, not giving up, not working hard like that. So she was in that moment. But in this one, she's just loving. She's loving with what she's got. She's making a meal. That's her gift. And she gave it. She gave it all. She's just spoken about sort of like contentedly in this story. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. So it's an ointment, it's a perfume, it's a lotion, something like that. And nard was a plant of that time. And pure just means genuine. It's kind of like very, very costly thing. We see later on in verse 5, the value was estimated at 300 denarii. Now, a denarii is one day's wage. So 300 days wages is a yearly salary. So I picked 60,000 as some sort of like generic number, but go ahead and put your own salary for one year, whether you make a little bit or a lot of it, into the value of this perfume. That's what it was worth to her. So whatever that number is in your mind, that would be what you are pouring out, wasting because of your love for Jesus. That's what she was giving. So she pours out a year's salary. So she anoints the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. This is not customary. This was considered inappropriate for a grown woman to have her hair down in the time. As soon as you came of age in that day, women bound up their hair. Their hair was never seen again in public except by their husbands. Well, not in public at all. It was only seen by their husbands. It was this like intimate, personal sort of thing. So the fact that she's just being completely vulnerable with Jesus was considered very disreputable by everyone watching. It was considered like to have like sexual overtones, you know, like she, she's bearing something of herself that's not supposed to be seen. But to her, she's adoring someone who she loves, someone who saved her brother, someone who saved her, someone who she's seen along the way. Remember, she was one who just sat at his feet. This is one of those women that followed Jesus everywhere he went. The women of Jerusalem, the Bible calls them. And so she just had this overwhelming devotion. So she's not worried about who's watching. She's not worried about what people are going to think of her. She's just loving him. And she took the most expensive thing she had and pours it all out. It was a waste. But it's never a waste to give everything you have out of love for Jesus. So she wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Like this deed had this kind of aroma of beauty in the room. Even today, this this scene kind of like permeates us. It spreads. It's a beautiful scent. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now that also would be a good thing. That also would be a good use of this money. It's not like dismissing that, saying that would be good. But his motives, verse 8, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Jesus said, leave her alone. Leave her be. Let her be. Different translations say this differently. The way I'm going to phrase it for us is, Leave her be. She was given this to prepare for my burial. 
It's tricky the way it's phrased, and I read a lot of different commentaries to try to figure it out, but she was doing this symbolically for Jesus to prepare him, like the embalming scents and lotions that were about to be used you know, a week later in Jesus' life. So this is symbolic anointing of Jesus for his burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is interesting. When I read this at first, my, my general impression of this has been kind of like that's sort of a rude thing for Jesus to say. Right? Well, there's always going to be poor people. Do something nice for me. But actually, he's quoting Deuteronomy. And, and I didn't realize that. And that puts it into perspective. God said to the Israelites, there will always be poor in the land. But don't let that determine how you use your time and money. Care for those who God brings in. Like, love the people that are around you. Share your wealth. It's talking about the year of Jubilee and how the Jews used their money. So the statement is there will always be poor. It's a factual statement. But therefore, serve the people around you with open hands. That's what the law says. So Jesus is saying the same thing. There will always be the poor around us. Serve them with open hands. But recognize that when I'm with you, this is a special moment. And it deserves this kind of honor. I will not always be here with you. All right, let's flip back to the Gospel of Mark. So two books back in the New Testament and chapter 14. Let me read it again from Mark's viewpoint, right? These are eyewitness accounts. These are different perspectives of the same events. And so sometimes the different Gospel writers add different details. We can get even more out of it. So that's what we're going to do. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. First nine verses of that will help fill out the story, give us something to really think about. You know, the, the basic question we're leading to here is what does it mean to waste? <laughs> and, and like, careful, like we, we might be wasting our lives. Careful, we might be wasting all of our time. Careful, we might be wasting all of our money on things that don't matter. Like, what matters? Is it doing for the poor? Is it doing for Jesus? Is it like, are our superficially good statements motivated by insecurity or fear or something not of God are our seemingly wasteful or risky statements and steps actually motivated by faith like it's hard to judge so this is where we go with this what does it actually mean to waste don't waste your life but it's never a waste to give God the best of what you've got so that's for us to kind of wrestle with let's get more of the story and then think together about what that means for us Mark 14, verse 1. Now it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So here you see Mark sequences it later on in the week. So we have a, a discrepancy. It either happened the six days before, or happened a couple of days before, it happened the week before. These are the sort of things you see. Right? Well, one writer thought it happened here, one writer thought it happened here. If you step back a little bit and say they're saying exactly the same thing with, you know, four days difference, <laughs> that to me is a very credible eyewitness account. These are the sorts of things that you get in true eyewitness accounts. A car drives by. It was a red car. It was a red truck. Well, it was red. I'm not sure whether it was a sedan or a pickup, but the eyewitnesses show you the points where there's clarity. And so this is one of those points. We can see the differences and we can see the similarities. Mark 14, uh, verse 1 again. Now it was two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, let there be an, lest there be an uproar from the people. Now, while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. Okay. Well, John's account didn't say where it was. This one says whose home it was, Simon the leper. So was Simon the leper the father of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Could be. And they were the ones there in their home serving. Uh, Simon the leper might have been the one with the biggest home in the neighborhood, the nicest house. And Martha is the one who makes food. And so she was there doing what she does and making food, and the whole community was gathered. 
It says Lazarus was reclining at the table. It doesn't say that he was running the show. So maybe it wasn't his house. Maybe it was someone else's house. This is an added detail. It's interesting. See how it all fits together in all these points where it agrees. While he was at Bethany at the, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Check out the word broke. There was no going back. She did not just put out a couple of drops. She's like, it's all or nothing. I'm going all or nothing, all in for this act of love. And a lot of times we like to hedge our bets a little bit. I'm going to give most of something or a little bit of something or pretty much a lot of kind of the most of sort of the, you know, we, she's not doing that here. Her example is not one of proportion. Her example here is one of extravagance and it's beautiful. We need to be inspired in some cases to say, I want to show love extravagantly, not just cautiously. It's a moment for extravagance. So she breaks it. That bottle is now empty and there's no keeping it in it. There's no stop and it's just crack. And then on his head, we know from the other, she also anointed his feet. Later on in this, it says his whole body. So we're getting the different elements. Anointing on the head was always a symbol of like honor. And you know, you anointed a king on his head, but anointing feet is one of cleanliness. It's when Jesus washes the feet of the disciple. You know, it's, it's one of submission and servant. So think of this whole moment that's happening here. Verse 4. Now there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So it wasn't just Judas. It wasn't just Judas. There were a few, maybe many of the disciples there, like, we work so hard for the little bit that we have. Look what's being wasted. So Judas is the one that speaks up. Judas is the one with the bad motives. But it wasn't just him. It was them looking through eyes of logic versus eyes of love. <laughs> Jesus said, they scolded her in this verse 5. Now verse 6, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's happening right now. Jesus' prophecy is that we are telling her story again, 2,000 whatever years later. Whatever, wherever the gospel goes, this story of extravagant, no holds barred, wasteful love will be told because it's a lesson we need to learn. In our cost and benefit analysis, in our risk analysis, we love to play it safe so that in case God doesn't come through, we're still going to be okay without him. Mm, push that faith a little bit more, church. Don't settle for that. Don't settle for playing it safe and we'll be fine whether God's with us or not. There are people who took risks in Scripture that we're supposed to admire. There are people that stepped out of boats onto water and did not drown. They walked. We're supposed to respect that and be inspired by that, not just say, well, that was good for them, but man, I wouldn't have gotten out of the boat. 
It's the logic versus faith. Like there are times in our lives where we're meant to just give it all. And she loved it. She had no regrets. Because sometimes there's moments that you're never going to get another time. And that's the moment to follow God into whatever he's going to do right then. Because the worst regret would be living our life and looking back and saying, ah, I was just too afraid to take that step of faith, to say that thing to that person, to give that money that I was trying to keep for this and give it to a foreign missionary so they could serve in Romania, to, to make a meal for someone when we didn't really have a lot of food in our own cupboard, to give up my time when I felt like I didn't have a minute to spare. Bible talks about the three T's. You know these? Time, treasure, talents. Time, treasure, talents. That's like what you have. It's what you have in the world. You've got time. You're going to use it. You've got treasure of some sort. You probably have a, a house and a car. You have some money in a bank account, some sort of income. Your treasure, your stuff. And then your talents. God's made you a certain way. We've got chefs in this room. We've got hard workers in this room. We have people who are intellectually brilliant in this room. We have businessmen and women in this room. We have scientists in this room, just represented right here. We have scholars. We have teachers. We have parents. Like That's your talent. Those are the things that God has put you on earth to do, and they're good, and they're beautiful. What do we do with those? How do we use them? If we get to the end of our life and say, oh, I just didn't use my time the way I wanted to, it's a regret that can never be overcome. The time passed. And so Jesus recognized that that moment she had him with her. He wasn't always going to be there. She took advantage of that. And forever after that story is told as a beautiful example, not a waste. Actually, in that moment was not a waste. Could it have been a waste? Sure. If she was trying to show off, if her heart was in a different place, look at how extravagantly I can love. Waste. If it was, I think I'd rather use this for myself here in this place than to give it to others. Waste. That exact same act could have been, but it was not waste because she just gave all she had. He says, leave her alone. She did what she could. She didn't have more to give. She gave it all. The widow's might. You know, 100% of what they had in that moment because that was the time. And what this brings us to here is an exchange. There's like a heavenly exchange that Jesus calls his people to make. The stuff that you have right now, he calls you to use it in such a way that you trade up. You exchange it for heavenly treasure, heavenly reward. The Bible calls it crowns, rewards in heaven, which is eternal. And so each of us with our time, our treasure, and our talents have the decision to make of whether we are going to keep it, use it, make it temporary. We got our time, we used it. We got our talents, we used them. Or whether there is a way we can trade, exchange any of our time, any of our talent for something that will last forever. So we're going to read that in the Gospel of Luke, talking about the treasure in heaven. But if you want to have another way to think of it, think of it like everything that you use, all the time that you use right now, all the money that you use right now, all your talents that you're using right now, can either be for yourself, they can be for others, they can be frittered away, they can be made the most of. But when they're done for God, to give God glory... You get credit for that. You get uh, uh, recognized. There's recognition for that in heaven. You get a memory of that exchange that can never be taken away. 
those crowns in heaven. Think of them like medals that you would wear in your chest. I remember there was a time where God gave me the ability to save a family from being kicked out of their home by helping with the mortgage. It's a moment that happened. And it's not about you. It's not a pride thing. It's a God thing. It's a God glory medal. And it represents that moment that you did something. And once it's done, it can never be taken away because it was done. And so in heaven, you're accumulating these things that were done. Now, if it is not done, then there's no credit given. There's no accolade. There's no reward. There's no crown. There's no recognition. And so in heaven, it's like, well, I'm here. I'm with God in glory. But we don't get to celebrate all those moments where things were done for his glory. It's recognition of service given. I think of it in heaven as if you have this like priceless jewelry box. And so you can open it up. And each separate earring, each necklace, each bracelet represents something beautiful that happened in the life you lived. And every day for all of eternity, you just get to open it up and look through it and remember all those great memories. They can never be taken away. Because once the exchange is made, it's permanent. You took your time and you helped that person. You took your money and you helped that homeless person. You took your, your love and you helped your child. And it was done for God. And forever after, you get to open up that jewelry box. And it's just precious. And you get to remember. It's a crown. It's, it's a jewel. It's a reward of how we live for God's glory in this life. How he helped us to do anything that was of value. Or if jewelry is not your thing, then it's a photo album. Ellen, it's a photo album. Yes. You flip open and page after page. Do you remember that time that we, we helped that person move? Do you remember that time someone come and stayed in your home? Do you remember that time where we helped and made a meal? Like all this, they can never be taken. You've made the exchange. You took the temporary time, the temporary food, and did something for God, and then it's a permanent record. It's a permanent medal. It's a permanent jewel. It's a permanent crown. It's a permanent thing. So we get to decide, do I want to just enjoy this life? You can. You just enjoy it. But it's all temporary. Everything we want here is just temporary unless we say, oh, I could do something for God here. <laughs> you have a possibility of making our temporary stuff eternal and enjoying it forever. So enjoy it for a couple of years or enjoy it for eternity. The trade-off is not even close. And that's what brings us to Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, chapter 14, I think we're in, 12 or 14. Let me find it first and then I'll direct you there. Am I going to be able to find this? Yes. Here we go. We're in Luke 12. Good, we've got time. Let's do the parable. 13, verse 13 through uh, 34. 13 through 34. It's another time Jesus is talking about the exact same topic. So in this case, it's a story. It's a, it's a parable he makes up on the spot, kind of like my example of a candle. The other one is not a parable. Mary was just there. It's history. It's a fact. It happened on a day. And the, there was a certain kind of weather outside. It was a day. It was a real day in real history. And it was the, the living incarnate example of this hypothetical story that Jesus tells to make the same point. What is actual waste? So, Luke 12, uh, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, that's what's coming to him. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And then Jesus said to all of them, Take care. Be careful. This is for us, New Hope, Christians, especially American Christians in this century. Be careful. 
Be on your guard against all greed. For a person's life, our life, my life, your life, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your life is not measured by how much stuff you've got. That's not the way to measure, measure true value or worth. So he said, okay, think of it this way. It tells him a parable, verse 16. So, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Right? It's rich. Got lots of crops. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to even store all these crops. And so the man said, okay, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll just build bigger ones. And then I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. He's going to die that night. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So he said to his disciples, he moves from the crowd now to the specific apprentices. He's trying to teach them how to live. We're trying to figure out how to live. What do we do with money in our day and age? What do we do with our time? How do we do this? Life skills. This is for us. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not stress out about your life. What are you going to eat? Or about your body? What are we going to wear? For your life is more than your food. Your body is more than just clothes. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns. And yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add even a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, or be worried for all the nations of the world, people without God's help. They seek after all these things, run themselves ragged, seek, think that way, seek, pursue, drive themselves crazy after all these things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and then all these things, they will be added to you. So don't be afraid. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there will be your heart also the more things we have the more we're like carrying at the same time and they get heavy if we have a very nice home we want to make sure we have like a good security system on that home with very expensive things and so we carry the weight of what if with us now, I've got an old truck, and I love the fact that it's an old truck, because if I drive into something or someone scrapes my door in the parking lot or the market basket, I probably wouldn't even notice. It's got plenty of scrapes already, but when you get that new car, I've had this feeling. Do you know what feeling I'm about to talk about? When you have a brand new something, and the first scratch goes in it, and you have this like sinking feeling inside, it's like, and you get angry, and you get protective. You carry that weight when we have nice things. You want to protect what we have. You don't feel because... You don't feel casual about it because you know how much it's worth and you know what you paid. 
So Jesus is saying, when you just store up treasure in a place that it can't be wrecked, who can touch you? Every moment of my life that has been a God moment, no one can take that away from me. Every moment of your lives where something special happened, either God stepped into your life for the first time, you just felt different, he healed you from a, a disease, from an illness, from a fear, from an addiction, like that, that's just changed, you're just not the same person. Every moment when you had a bill that you couldn't pay and money and it unexpectedly came in, no one can ever take those moments away. They cannot be stolen by any thief. They cannot be wrecked. They're permanent. They're past tense. They have already happened. They can never be taken from you. And for eternity, you get to enjoy those memories. I will look forward to having a good memory finally when I get to heaven. I don't have one now, so I need lots of notes and papers and calendars, and I do my best. I'm going to have an awesome memory in heaven. So all I'm going to do is just reflect back on all that God has done and be in his presence enjoying who and what he is. Don't waste our time and talents and treasures now on things that seem quick and easy or good, but don't have any lasting value. Will your life be ruined if you waste money on this or that? Or Maybe even not. Maybe that's the subtle danger of it. Maybe your life will seem just fine. But all the missed opportunities will be there. And if there aren't those shining moments all along the way, you're going to get to a point whether it's your midlife crisis or whether it's retirement age or you're going to get to a point where you look back and you're like, did it matter? And then even if all the little things we did along the way weren't like sinful, evil, wicked, but if they didn't matter, you're not going to be able to look back and say, I counted for something. Me and God together in this life like brought some of the kingdom to heaven. I want that for us. And what it's going to take is us exchanging, doing that exchange the heavenly exchange, our time now for the reward eternally, our money now for the memory eternally, our talents now. And it's going to look different for everyone. Everyone has different capacity. People have different money. The, the $60,000 candle I talked about. For someone, maybe that's not actually a lot of money. I think there's probably people in the world rich enough that that wouldn't even make them blink. Like, that would make me blink and then pass out and then die. Like, that's a lot to me. But even in perspective, if someone has that much, what is God asking from them of that? Probably a lot more. But just like the woman, just like Mary, she did what she could. Do what you can. Just do what you can. Not what the person next to you can. Don't do what I can. Don't do it. Just do what you can. But do it for God's glory so we can celebrate those memories for eternity. So I thought of six ways that we could possibly waste our lives, our time, our talents, our, our, our treasure. And I'm going to challenge us to not fall into any of these traps. If one of these is you, recognize it. Don't be defeated by it. Don't judge yourself for it. But recognize it and say, okay, Jesus, let's not fall into this trap. There's a kind of waste that... Um, waste... We'll, we'll give them names. There's a kind of waster who is called the hoarder. Someone who hoards all the wonderful things that they have, but because they never share it, it just sits and rots and then they die. No credit, no glory, no benefit. This could be your talents. We can hoard our talents. He could be the most beautiful writer of poetry. And all you ever do is just write for yourself instead of realizing, oh, my poems could inspire others. 
could raise up other future poets, could change people's outlook on things. We can hoard our money. That's an easy example. Don't need to explain that one. We can hoard our time. Just so jealous for the time we have to ourselves because we need it and we deserve it and we want it and we work hard for it and we deserve time off. And like, okay, but be careful or you might just hoard all your time and then have been good for no one else with any of your time. So the hoarder is a, a type of waste. The procrastinator is another type of waste. I'm going to do that, but then we don't because we get distracted, we get busy. Well, then all that time is wasted. I'm going to spend more time with my kids. That's the Cats in the Cradle song, right? Remember that one? (laughs) I'm going to do this. And then we just don't. And so it's wasted time because we didn't get around to it. We didn't make it a priority. There's the indefinite saver. Money is meant to be spent. You know that, right? But we save wisely because we don't know what we're going to need to spend it on. But what if we just saved it for our whole lives and missed the moments when it was a moment to spend it? There's a time to spend it. Mary's moment was to spend it right then. That oil had been given to her. Where did she even get that? You know, we speculate on that for a moment. Where did she get a, a, a small flask worth, I don't know, in her time, $100,000 equivalently or whatever? It might have been a family heirloom. Some scholars have speculated that, Right? Maybe your family was just hugely wealthy. Maybe she could afford that, you know? Simon the leper. Maybe there's a whole story there. But it was her day to spend. It was not her day to save. And some days are days to spend. And it can be a waste to save and miss the moment. There's also the impulsive spender. This is the kind of waste where you start at the beginning of the month and, oh, I need an extra coffee, and oh, I need an extra this, and oh, I went to the movies once, and I didn't get to them. Where'd all the money go? I have no idea, but it's gone. And the credit card company owns me now. (laughs) It's so easy to fall into, but it's waste. It's just waste on things that didn't ultimately matter. So you need to be intentional at the beginning of the pay cycle, at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of the month, the beginning of the day, say, what will I do? So you don't get to the end of the day and be like, man, I got nothing left. And I didn't do anything that mattered. And then maybe the last we can think about is the over-evaluator. This is the, um, the kind of waste that comes from uh, being unable to make decisions. I have a, a close family member who likes to think through all the options. Like, all the options. No, like options you've never even thought of before need to be considered. Like, should we or should we not have cheeseburgers for dinner? Like, to me, that's, I don't know, flip a coin, whatever first comes to mind, you like, for this person, let's weigh the value to the economy of purchasing meat versus not. Let's uh, decide which is the best type of meat that we might want to eat and which places have the best prices. Is there any place that's running a sale? We might be able to get a little bit better. Can I afford it? How many times this week have I had meat? Am I overeating? Am I undereating? Um, <laughs> will it be a balanced meal? Can I take someone else with it? How much money will it cost? Is there another place I, like, oh my goodness, I can't. I can't do that. That's not my personality. But that's just the way God has made this wonderful person who I love dearly. So it's not a bad thing. But that person will need to recognize the trap is that in the process of making the long decision, you'll go hungry. It'll be breakfast before you realize it and didn't even have dinner. And that can happen to us. It just can happen to us. We're waiting so long to make a decision which just needs to be made that we're wasting the time, we're wasting the opportunity, wasting the moment. There's so many beautiful opportunities in our lives. I just encourage you not to 
to waste them. Don't fritter things away. Be intentional. Who has God called us to be? It's never a waste to give your best. So don't let anybody judge you for loving extravagantly or giving extravagantly. And don't let anybody judge you for saying, this is the time for me to save. This is the time for me to wait. Beautiful. But let it all be done in a trust that Jesus, you are the only thing that matters. And if I have any opportunity to give away my stuff to help someone, to make a heavenly exchange so that I get to enjoy that memory for eternity, I'm doing it. And if it means that we use all of our money up and die happy, awesome. If it means we pour out all of our talents and abilities and exhaust ourselves and then die happy, awesome. If it means we take everything of all our time and treasure and talents and just use them, it's what they're there for. You are here to be used for the glory of God. So don't waste a life. Don't let it slip away. It's too good. It's too good. And the reward for a life well spent is like nothing that can compare. Nothing can compare. So let's learn from Mary this morning. Let's say a prayer. Let's ask God to kind of impress this upon us and then we'll close with a song. But let's, let's hold Mary up as someone to be admired. Jesus, thank you for not condemning Mary. Thank you for having eternal perspective. Teach us what things are truly worth, what our time and treasure and talents are actually worth. What is their value? And what are we spending them on? Is it equal value? How can we trade up? What is the heavenly exchange rate for every moment of our lives? Father God, give us the, the beautiful moment of extravagant love. Help us not to care what the people around us think. But let it be truly for you and let it be wonderful worship. Teach us how to worship beyond our limits. Teach us simplicity in our lives and self-discipline and intentionality so that we would know what we have to work with from you and we could steward it to the best of our ability. Thank you for these wonderful, short, brief lives and how you walk us through them. And we look forward to looking back with you for eternity on all the moments that you showed us something beautiful and led us into something amazing. Pray for you to show us what this means, each one of us individually, this week, as we live and adore you and the lives you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.